All right, so Luke chapter 10, this morning, brothers and sisters, I need to undo my water here. So as you find yourself in Luke chapter 10, we will get started. Uh, Before we get started, though, I wanted to give you a couple updates on where we're going to be going this summer so that uh, you can be prepared and kind of understand where we're uh, we're going. Today we're finishing chapter 10. And Luke, as you can see there, we're starting in verse 38. We're going to finish the chapter. Um, and this summer, we're going, to, we're going to stop right here at Luke chapter 10, or at the end of chapter 10, and we're going to begin back in chapter 11 in August. And so in the meantime for the summer, uh, I'm going to preach a, a five-week series, at least five weeks, five-week series on, on the church, right? So these are things that we've dealt with for a long time, here at uh, Sovereign Grace and different things, different times they've come. Uh, we did it pretty heavy in the beginning. And so just to serve as a reminder, maybe a little more systematically through the summer, we're going to walk through it um, and, and kind of catch some different things on the church. And you can go to our website and see what each of those weeks are going to be. And, of course, we'll talk about more of this uh, next week. Now, we're not going to start the series, in fact, actually in two weeks. Next week, we're going to have a special guest speaker next week. Uh, guest preacher, I guess you could say. Um, I've uh, invited, um, I've invited uh, uh, Pastor James Tippins from Grace Truth to come preach, and he has graciously accepted to come preach next Sunday. So he will be here with uh, his his clan, Lord willing. He's got five kids and and his wife, and so Lord willing, they'll all be able to uh, be here next week. And so we are excited to hear his message that uh, the Lord has for him. Uh, they are uh, a sister church to us in in Claxton. And, and so I'm looking to hear from, uh, from that brother, as well as looking forward to this summer and all that we're going to unpack together on, on, the, on the church. So let's get into our, our text this morning. So Luke chapter 10. Now, if you look at Luke chapter 10, you see that we're going to be dealing with Mary and Martha. You might remember this story. If you don't, no worries. We'll, we'll get into it, and you'll be able to see what's going on. Now, if a lot of times you would hear this text be preached on Mother's Day. Well, I'm not good enough to plan right, and I totally blew that one, right? Missed it. My timing was uh, way off. Um, but we have frequently seen in the Gospel of Luke that, that there's this highlighting of the importance of, of women in Jesus' ministry, right? This isn't the first time we've seen women come into the picture of the ministry of Christ, right? Starting all the way back in the beginning, there was uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Actually, I think even before her was Elizabeth, her cousin, um, the mother of John the Baptist, uh, as well as several other women that have been highlighted all the way through uh, this chapter, chapter 10 so far. But this passage has two women who are sisters, and, and we get more of these sisters actually in the Gospel of John. And these sisters are actually sisters to another guy that we're familiar with named Lazarus. Right? So these are sisters, Mary and Martha, of, uh, of, of Lazarus. Um, and John also tells us that, just for con- context, tells us that their home is in Bethany. So when we look at the passage today, we're just going to read into that that we're in Bethany. Kate is just in her her way right now. She has decided she is going to exert herself by being as loud as possible. So we're just going to move on 
and we're going to pretend that Kate doesn't exist for a while. Okay? Um, and break. Uh, so, so they're from Bethany, but that's not important in our passage this morning, but just for your understanding and uh, for your future context. Uh, now, the problem with preaching, in a sense, taking this passage necessarily and using it just for uh, Mother's Day can also make the mistake of misapplying this text only to women or only to moms. But this passage goes way beyond that. It, it goes way beyond than, than just the, the, the stereotype of a woman's struggle with hospitality and serving in her home. It's certainly imp, imp, one of the implications of the text, but it goes beyond, uh, um, goes beyond that. Now, um, this passage reveals something about us all. reveals something to men and women. And, and it's what Jesus is going to be pointing at to Martha in his direct language to, uh, to her. And it's very important for us to see these. There's a big difference between these two women, though. There's a big difference between these two ladies and how they react when Jesus shows up at their home. They have a different posture. Right? They, have a, they have a different stance. Their body language is, is completely different um, than, than the other. And what I want to show you this morning, what I think Jesus wants to show us this morning, is not just the posture of these women, but what is the potential enemies, and I use that word very specifically, enemies, dangers to our discipleship. What are potential enemies in our discipleship? And then also what Jesus points out to us is he's going to show us the never-ending joy and delight in discipleship and where that is found. So let's look back together at Luke chapter 10, and let's start reading together in verse 25. Not 25, I'm sorry. Verse 38. Verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. What village? Bethany. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary. Now, we don't say that. A sister named Mary, not called. That's interesting, right? Uh, Who called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Martha has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. This is the word of the Lord, and may His Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear, to see His holy inspired and an errant word to his glory and for our joy. Amen. So I'm going to do something that I rarely do, and that is I'm going to sum up the whole sermon for you in the next minute. The whole sermon can be summed up in this. The whole aim of this morning and what I want to deliver to you is for us to, to have a, um, a never-ending delight in God's word. I think that's the the aim at what Jesus is pushing Martha to. 
What Mary has chosen, the good portion, the one necessary thing, is for her to have a never-ending delight in being in God's Word. So for us, church, how we are to and where we are to go to enjoy Jesus is where Mary did at the feet of Christ. With her ears open, listening. And then on the other hand of that, the danger. The, the danger, the enemy that could be found when you're not, hear me, when you are not in the Scriptures, even if you are doing good things, even if you are doing things that you believe that God is being honored by, there is a potential that even in those good things, if we are neglecting the Scripture, there is a great danger to our souls. There's a great danger to our hearts. There's a great danger to our church and our relationships. Because we will become bitter toward one another. Last week we talked about the, the Christian's delight in obedience. The Christian's delight in obedience to obey the law, that, that first law, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our strength, and our minds. And it's through the Scripture then. What we talked about last week and what we're going to see this week is that it's through the Scripture that conforms us that transforms our hearts and minds daily so that we can love God this way. It doesn't happen through osmosis. It happens from being in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit using the Word of God to conform us and transform us and make us more like Christ. Let me point to you two really quick passages that prove what I'm talking about. The link between love and obedience with the Scripture. Hebrews 4.12. You're familiar with these. Hebrews 4.12. We'll put it up on the screen. For the Word of God is living and active. I mean, it's doing something. It's always doing something. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of the soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Meaning it goes beyond the surface and it goes right down to the very places that we don't even want to tell anybody about. It cuts us that deep for our healing, for our good. It's living and active. Here's a second one, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, 17. We know these, but hear it. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So do you hear do you see and hear then, and not only just how we love God, but we can't just say that we love God if we're not diving into the Scripture because the Scripture shows us how to love God. They can't be separated. They're, they're completely linked so that we, the man of God may be complete, trained in righteousness, being corrected over and over, equipped for every good work. How else are you going to love God and love your neighbor as yourself if we are not in the Word of God? 
There's the, that was more than a minute. Martha, Martha, Martha. When I, when I read this, I thought about the Brady Bunch. Y'all know the Brady? Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. That's what I thought, but it's a different name. Martha was, in a sense, this typical older sister. We got one of those. Type A. You know, everything has to be perfect. Everything has to be in its place. Outgoing. Ambitious. Proactive. Time-sensitive. Organized. And all these are great things about the, the type A-er. But with those comes with a couple other things. Stress. Anxiety. Fear of failure. Any other type A's in the room this morning? You and me, we're the only ones? Hey, I mean, yeah, you, what in the world, you know? Yeah, we, can, we got on some things. My poor wife. But we see that in Martha this morning, don't we? You, you kind of can see her doing this. She she's, has the greatest intention. She invites Jesus in. She brings Jesus in and probably all of his disciples. I mean, that's at least 12 plus him, 13. And, and maybe this, I don't think they're 72, but who knows? but at least 13 people into her home, please come, host, and hosts him. You know, Martha is what, what Jesus called back in verse 6, that person of peace, isn't she? Goes into a town, and she welcomes him into their home. She's desiring to hear the message of the kingdom of, of God. And I think she did. I think she had a desire to hear the message, but she said all the other things that needed to be done. And she prioritized all those over those other things. She's that person of peace. She's that type heir. That's what type heirs do. That's what, that's what we do. But Jesus wasn't there mainly to rest. He was there to teach. And we see what Mary did. Mary, who's probably not a type heir, but it doesn't matter. Mary does what? She, she sat at the Lord's feet and she listened to his teaching. Now, in Judaism, women were allowed to be instructed the law. They were allowed to be instructed the law, the Torah. But never, never would a rabbi allow a woman to sit at his feet like that. That was very taboo, very inappropriate for, for the culture, right? Uh, because they didn't want to be seen, you know, like this is something not right or, or whatever it uh, uh, may be. So why does Jesus do that? Just really quickly. And, and the reason is, is because what they believed about women sitting at their feet and listening and hearing the scriptures was not the Bible. Jesus is like, that's not the Bible. Please come. Here, here are the scriptures. Here are the, the, the word. Women are not second-class members in the church. They're not second-class citizens in society or the church, but they are also created in the image of God, like man, equal in essence and nature and in worth. We believe that as a church, as a body, completely. Because that's what Jesus believes. So what does Mary's posture show us about her? She had a desire, a yearning to hear and learn from the Master. And take note, what was it that she wanted to hear. What was it that she wanted to hear? Literally, the words of God. 
right? The Word of God Himself. John chapter 1, right? The Word of God came amongst us and dwelled with us, tented with us. That's Jesus. And she wanted to hear the Word of God. She was undivided, undistracted, uh, and her focus was on Jesus because Jesus is the Word of God speaking the Word of God about the Kingdom of God. And there was nothing more of a priority for her than that. Now, Martha, though, on the other hand, being Martha... Type A, she wanted to care for Jesus in the the best way to help him and to provide for him and to give him a comfortable home so that he could teach and to give them a a good, hearty meal, right? We we can't question her uh, intentions here. I I think her intentions were were well. She she thought her priority and her job was to care for Jesus in the, the best way that she knew how. And so when Martha gets upset, understandably, because she's the only one doing anything. I mean, when, sometimes when, when we're doing things in here and there's like maybe two of us doing everything and one, everyone else is talking, having a great time, and sometimes we can be like, hello, Captain Obvious. This thing's about to fall on me. Right? I mean, we're like, Help! Right? We can understandably see the, how upset and how angry that she could be. Right? Because after all, she's missing out too. She's missing out on the teaching too. So she appeals to Jesus. Intervene, Jesus. Get my sister to help me. That's, a, that's pretty much a daily thing at our home, by the way. My sister's not helping me. She's not doing this. Love the girls. We did it too as brothers with my, my family. We'll, we'll unpack more of what, what Jesus says to correct her. But he does correct her. And he commends her and compels her back to receive, to receive something better. And Martha, it's not the meal that you are going to provide that's going to nourish you and feed you. I'm the meal. I'm, I'm, I'm the meal. I'm the better meal. I'm, be- I'm the better meal in what I'm teaching and what I'm giving than, than you could ever fix. Remember the scripture, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's what she was missing out on. So which one has her priorities in the right place? Of course, by reading the passage, we know. We know the answer to that is, is Mary. But, but, but isn't that sometimes one of the hardest things to see and do in life is to get our priorities straight? Doesn't that seem the, one of the most hardest things to do? It's so easy to, to mix things up even just a little bit, to get things out of, out of whack, even good things. We'll, we'll mix up even good things. And that's what we're going to see this morning. The example of that, that even in the best intentions, we still can miss the better portion. So I have two points that I want to share, and I've kind of been talking about them a little bit. I want to first share with you the the dangers and distractions. The dangers and distractions, the potential dangers and distractions that, that come to us and to our souls and to our life when we are neglecting and not turning to the soul satisfying Word of God. We are going to turn to other things for that satisfaction. 
and second point is going to serve the first in the sense that it's going to show us the good portion that Jesus was referring to. And so we will uh, uh, unpack those together. So the first is the dangers in the distractions of discipleship. All right, so from, from the get-go, we know uh, that Jesus uh, and, and, and whoever knows how many other people came over to Martha's house that, that, that since that point, she's, she's kind of doing everything she can. You ever had that where you have people coming over and they're kind of there at the spur of the moment and you're just kind of like picking things up, you're putting things away, and you're quickly trying to provide something and give food? This, this is Martha. Right? This is what she's, she's, she's doing. She's trying to do this and maybe every now and then catch a, a word of, the, of, of what Jesus is saying. And then she's like, oh, junk, I've got to get the bread out of the oven or, or man, I've got to get some more oil for the lamps. And so she's not really getting able to spend time there. And so after a while, verse 40, Martha shows, tells us that she speaks out because of the injustice that she's seeing because her sister's sitting there and doing nothing. And this is what she uh, says. She says in verse 40, it says, But Martha was distracted with much serving. We're going to block that for a second. And she went up to Jesus, and this is what she said. Lord, do you not care? Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Like I said, the familiar conversation, right? It's not fair. Tell them to come help me. I'm, I'm doing what needs to be done. I, I can't speak. I can't speak for other times in history by experience, but I can speak of one for my own. And if, if, there ever was, if there ever was a time in which we, as a people, are in danger of this same temptation, the same thing that, that Martha was dealing with, this same temptation of being distracted and busyness, it's now. We, we live in a time of busyness and distractions and, and so many things that make us more busy or at least they make us feel like we are busy. In our culture, we sometimes even wear it like a badge of honor. We, we kind of pride ourselves in things. I mean, tell me if this is not a familiar conversation. Hey, Joe, man, I haven't, I haven't seen you around lately. How, how you been doing? What you been up to? I'm all right. I'm tired, though. I'm just busy. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? I mean, I think about 90% of the conversations you have with people that you kind of see at Walmart or other places, you ask them how they're doing, 90% of the time they're going to say, oh, I'm tired. And I think it's because we, we wear it as a badge of honor. And we're so busy that maybe that is the re our reality, that we are just tired all the time. We're busy. We're distracted. And if we're not busy, and you're not tired, then you're not successful. Isn't that pretty much the underlying tone in our conversations? It's, it's so easy, though, too, to have so much stuff going on all the time, isn't it? This is like the, the new norm of the American family. I remember uh, Christina talking to me this year. Um, she teaches, um, we talk more than once a year, sorry. 
um, she, she teaches home economics uh, during the school year. And, and one of the things that she teaches her class how to do is to cook a simple meal. And that simple meal, I don't really know what the sides are, but the main dish is a, a roasted chicken. I mean, it's pretty easy. It sounds daunting, but she shows them how to do it. And this is how you prepare it, and this is how you cook it, and, and, and things like that. And then the assignment for I, almost like the rest of the semester, I mean, they have weeks on end to complete this, is to go home and do that simple meal for uh, for your family to go get a chicken and prepare it and some other dishes and cook that meal for um, for your for your family and then to take a picture of it and send it to Christina to kind of verify that they they cook they cook the meal now here's the here was the rub not on the chicken but the rub with the students was was this is that for some of the students that assignment seemed like the most impossible assignment they've ever been given. Not because it's hard to cook a chicken. I mean, I think that they understood that. The impossibility was not the, the cooking. The impossibility was, I'm never home. My family's not, we're not home. I, I, don't, I don't get home until 8, 8, 30, 9 o'clock, and, and i got to do all this homework. How am I supposed to cook a chicken? And so she, for several students, she heard this nonstop. I mean, it was like, What? How is that possible that you have no time to prepare one simple little meal? We are busy. We are busy and we are distracted by our busy. And if we ever do have one quiet moment, which we do, we, we have quiet moments. If we have those quiet moments, we have something else to distract us, right? To get to the next notification, Facebook message, post, Instagram, Snapchat is always calling. The next, uh, you know, if, not, if it's not that, then our iPad is telling us about the next uh, Netflix show or the email about work or um, the trending video on YouTube, whatever it may be. This, this very week, um, our, our eye addictions have gotten so bad that Apple in their new software is going to address this by, by putting parameters on our devices. Um, and in fact, uh, uh, Apple's CEO, Tim Cook, actually admitted that he himself spends way too much time on his phone. <laughs> what does that tell you? We're, we're addicted to these, to these things. But it's, it's, it's not just about our, our technology that's distracting us, but there's so many things in life, right? There's what about, what about work? Long hours at the office, long hours at the, the job site or the restaurant or the schools or whatever it may be. And the, the stress of always being reminded of how much more needs to get done or how much hasn't been done or what's ne going on in the next day. There seems to be never enough time of the day or never enough time in the week. And not to mention the work that seems so never-ending at home. I know for my wife, it seems this way. The endless preparation of meals, making lunches, taking our kids to school, summer, that's abbreviated now, are paused. Picking them up, cleaning, cleaning, cleaning some more, vacuuming. We're, we're at the point now where we vacuum every day. Vacuum. Laundry. I mean, if there's ever a parable in life of the never-ending task, it's always laundry. Just when you think you are done, every hamper is clean, you take off your socks. 
And you're like, shoot, back to the washing machine. And, and home at work is, or work at home is, is good and glorious and serving one another in, in all of these ways. There's a, there's a futility there, but there's also a beauty in that futility of, of serving and caring and loving uh, those who, whom we love. I, I read how someone described home, housework as constantly putting pearls on a necklace with no knot at the end of the string. Busyness is, is not just in the American culture at work or home, but that busyness is also extended into the local church. How many of us have just been exhausted by the church? The church has been this extension, has become this extension of the rec department and school with Jesus mixed in. Um, I, I, I know, I know literally youth pastors who are struggling to keep their heads above water because of the, the, the pressure that parents and youth councils and other staff members put on them to pack their calendars out to keep their kids even more busier than they ever have been with all kinds of church activities. Good, even good things, right? Some of the things are, can be done away, but some of them are, are, are really good things. But all the while... These, these youth pastors are sacrificing their own wives and children at the altars of the busyness of other people. We have this thing, this idol that we have built in our culture that if we aren't busy, something's not right. Brothers and sisters, we have to address this. We have to address this idolatry with the Scripture. Now, Notice, notice that none of the examples that I've used are sinful. I'm not telling you to not go to work tomorrow. Go to work tomorrow. I'm not, I'm not telling you to, to not do the laundry tomorrow if it needs to get done, or vacuum, or cook a meal. Not, that's, not what, that's not what we're seeing. That's not what we're talking about here. I'm not saying that when a ministry need comes up in the church that, that you're not to fill it but it's the priority that we place them in our hearts and in our lives that causes us to neglect what Jesus says, the one thing that's necessary. Our, our busyness, brothers and sisters, can become an enemy to our discipleship because it keeps our eyes focused on a multitude of less important things and we forget about the most important thing. Just a quick side note. Just a quick side note for us. For those who are busy and those who are even tired this morning, I just want you to reflect on the, the, the mercy of God that He has given us His Lord's Day to come and rest. Isn't, isn't that God's mercy to rest these, these distractions, how, the reason, one of the reasons why they're so dangerous is because it gives us a tunnel vision. And that, that tunnel vision is, is it gets us in this one-track mindedness and the only thing that you can see is what's immediately right in front of you, that next task, excuse me, right in front of you. And this is what Martha saw. All she saw was the next task, the next thing that needed to be done, and then why no one is helping 
And, and then so what does, what does she do? She, she believes since all these things need to be done and no one else is helping me, so they're wrong and I'm right. And so she places this demand upon Jesus to make these things right because they're wrong and I'm right. This is what that tunnel vision does. This is what our busyness and distractions do. And this is so common and natural for us to think. We think that everyone should be committed and sympathetic to what we think is important. And, and if they're not, then they're not spiritual enough. They're, they're, not, they're not a good Christian. Let me show you another one. Uh, there's tunnel vision, and I think Martha is also showing a superiority complex. She, she believed that if she was to quit all those things that she's doing, that, that everything would fall apart. The home would fall apart. That nothing would get done. And it's easy for us to believe that in our busyness and in our distractions and all these things that are in our lives, that it's easy for us to believe that in our service, in our work for the kingdom, that over time, over time, Jesus needs what we can give. You see the difference? And that if it wasn't for us, it would all fall apart. Certainly, our responsibilities are important. We've already talked about that. And they should be taken seriously. But brothers and sisters, there is not one of us who is not indispensable. I don't know about you. That may sound really harsh. But to me, that actually sounds pretty liberating. That sounds pretty liberating, and I hope it does to you, because that means this whole thing is not dependent upon me. Yeah, I can mess it up. But it's the Lord. It's the Lord. It's dangerous. It's dangerous when we have this idea of how are the same things, the same thoughts and bitterness that Martha had. Look how she speaks to Jesus. She demands him to do something. You can, you can hear this passive-aggressive anger and jealousy toward her sister and to Jesus. I mean, he says, do you not care? Like you hear the words, to, looking at the Son of God. Do you not care? Can't, can't you see, Jesus, that you're enabling the laziness of my sister and that's hurting me? Can you, I mean, can you kind of hear that in her words? That's passive-aggressive. That's really what she meant to say. And, and what does that say to her, say about her belief in Jesus? That he does not care about her. Now, is that true? It's like one of our kids, one of your children, you know, they get angry at you. Sometimes they just say things that they're not supposed to. And they just say things like, you don't care about me. It's not true. It's not true. Doesn't Jesus care about Martha? Of course. But do we see the danger that Martha's heart is in at this moment? The lies that she's believing about Jesus? the anger and bitterness that she's harboring toward her sister and Jesus? What about your heart? Can you feel the dangers and the warning this morning from this passage to you? Have you ever had these kind of overwhelming feelings of anger and jealousy and doubting the care and provision of Christ in your life? Do you see how dangerous this is and how destructive it can be in the church? 
man, I have seen this plenty of times in the church where bitterness and jealousy creep in even in the good things. I'm not talking about necessarily sinful things. I'm talking about good things that people have turned into idols in their lives, in their hearts. Paul says in Ephesians 3, he says that, our, that, our ang- that we, in our anger we are not to sin. Because when we do, in our anger, we are giving a, the, the devil an opportunity, a foothold. I mean, we're seeing that. We're, there, that's, a, that's a foothold we see in Martha there. Do you not care? It destroys relationships. It brings disunity in the body. Not to give any false comfort in your struggles here, but, but this is the heart of mankind. That even in blessing and serving, we can turn it into sin. The danger that takes place and what the outcome is, is real, then biblical hospitality becomes tainted and destroyed with jealousy and anger. It can be hindered and killed. Distractions and busyness are dangerous. And what are they dangerous to? They're certainly dangerous to our unity. They're certainly dangerous in our beliefs on who Christ is. But Jesus points out, here's the root. Martha, here is the root. Here's the, the big problem. You chose something over what's supreme, what's ultimate, what's better. So Jesus, this is my second point now, the good portion. Jesus knows the tendency of of our hearts as he knows Martha's heart, and so he addresses her. I love how kind he addresses her. He addresses her so, so kind. When he speaks the words, he says, Martha, Martha. That was a a, a terms of of kindness and in a a tone of love and in a sense kind of sympathy for the struggle that she's having in her heart and seeing the the sin in in her heart. And so he speaks right to her heart by showing her the Scripture. Verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, right? So anxious and troubled about many things, many distractions. Verse 42, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away. Let's unpack this. Jesus goes after the root issue. I already said, he said her, said his name, her name twice. He's a kind, careful to her. He's being loving, kind. He wants to correct her. And, and what he's saying is, in, in all your busyness, in all your businesses and troubles, is the same word that's being used there for troubles and distractions. For all your troubles and for all your distractions, you're missing it. You're missing what's necessary, the one thing that's necessary. And the one thing, Mary, is not the next task. It's not the next meal. It's not the next mess to clean up. It's not serving more. The one thing is what Mary did. It's enjoying the Lord. It's enjoying the Lord. That's the right choice. That's the the one thing. It's the right choice all the time. And this is the choice that we make every day brothers and sisters. 
And if you're anything like me, it can be a battle to choose the good portion, to choose the one thing that's necessary, to choose to enjoy Jesus. Here's how deep this goes. You were created to enjoy God. Right? That's, I mean, you were wired to enjoy God and to enjoy the gifts and blessings of, of God. And so when we get up every morning, knowing that time is limited, things got to get done, got to go to work, places we got to, to go, family members to take care of, But in those moments, will we choose to enjoy God in the good portion that he has given us? Will we choose something that's all-satisfying and soul-nurturing, the life-giving word of God? Let's unpack this further. What does Jesus mean by the good portion? Well, certainly it's the scripture, the, the, the word of God. Now, throughout the Bible, this is what's amazing. Throughout the Bible, did you know that God, um, that God says that he himself is the portion or the inheritance of his people? So what is Jesus saying? You are choosing God. You remember the question that the lawyer asked Jesus last week? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit my, uh, my, my portion? Our inheritance, our portion, brothers and sisters, is God himself. Being in the scripture is choosing God. Let me show you from Psalm 16, verse 5. It says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my, the strength of my heart and my portion. Who's the por- what's the portion? God. The good portion is God. And we get them forever. Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is my portion. The purpose of eternal life is enjoying God as our portion. The reason why we are saved, brothers and sisters, is to enjoy God. To delight in Him. Piper's words, treasure Him. And we get to do that not just in eternity, but that starts here, now. We get to start delighting in what God has created us to delight in, and that is now. We get to sit with Him. We get to listen to Him. We get to talk to Him. We get to treasure Him as as our inheritance here in Scriptures. The the good news of the gospel is we get God. And I I love this. I love how it even turns around. Deuteronomy 32, verse 9 says, The Lord's portion 
His portion is his people. <laughs> Think about that. Not only is the Lord our portion, but we are his portion. Brothers and sisters, this is the motive of our choosing that portion every day because he is ours and we are his. What a joy, what a delight. And look at the, the, the promise. We see the same promise flow through those passages I read. Jesus says, he says, it is, it is the portion that will not be taken from you. It is the portion that will not be taken from you. Meaning it is yours and it is yours forever. Nothing will ever separate you from his love. No one will ever pluck us from his hand. He will, uh, never will he leave us. Never will he forsake us. The Lord is our portion and his inheritance is our inheritance forever. Forever. And that is why Mary has chosen that one thing that's necessary, that's most important, sitting at Jesus' feet and fellowshipping with Him in the Word. And so when we press into the Word of God daily, we are pressing into not only what we were meant to receive and to enjoy, but brothers and sisters, you are pressing into something that will never be taken from you. Now, I thought about that for a moment. You know why that idea of it not being taken away from us is just not very astounding to us? Because we have so much in our lives. And we have so much in our lives at, at, at our disposal at any moment. We, we believe that those things are better. We, we enjoy those things more. And I think that one of the realities of that is, is because we haven't felt the sting of losing those things. You, you know this just as well as I do, that the reality in this fallen world is that there is nothing that will last forever. Nothing. And, and there is not anything that you have today that cannot be taken from you tomorrow. Not one thing we own, not one loved one. And yet, what does Jesus say here that can't be taken away? The good portion. The Word of God. The one thing that won't be eaten by moth or rust. The one thing that won't leave you, but will always be there. So here's the question that we must ask this morning. If, if the Lord is my portion and he is never taken away from me, how much of my day is he sitting and waiting for me to notice he is the one thing necessary? Is, is there so much going on in, in your life where everything else dominates it so that there is little to no time left for God's word to speak to you? Without the life-giving power of the Scripture speaking into our lives daily, we adopt the same mindset that Martha was prone to, a mindset of narrowness and judgmentalism and fault-finding and bitterness and accusation. And eventually, any joy, any creativity, any love that was given to you in doing that particular ministry or work or work at home, it sours and it becomes bitter. It's easy to lose that one thing and forget about the good portion. Life 
does not automatically rearrange itself and set all of our priorities straight. Amid the thousands of things that we have to do each and every day and every single week, there are plenty of distractions and plenty of busy things that Jesus is saying is pretty much everything. It is a distraction and it is a busyness of life if it is causing you to neglect the Scriptures. If it's causing you to neglect the one thing, the portion, your inheritance, your relationship, your enjoyment of Christ. And Jesus says, that's a distraction. Have you ever been confused about what Jesus wants most from you? Like what really pleases him? I think this passage helps us answer that. It's to delight in him. To be with him in his word. And you know, as noble and as good as it sounds to serve him and others, and as, and as much as it looks good in front of everyone else to serve in different ministries, to be very busy at teaching and leading Bible studies, feeding the poor, caring for children, cooking church fellowship meals, preparing for hospitality, all of those things are good. And certainly the Scriptures encourage us to love and to teach and to do these things for one another, but they are not ultimate. And they cannot come at the expense of sitting at the feet of Jesus in the Word of God. You know, I, I love our fellowship meals at the end of the month, and I'm so thankful. They're such a wonderful time. But when people become distracted and have to go into the kitchen, when there's preaching and teaching and singing going on, that's when we know... Now, no one's doing that. That's, I'm not correcting you. I, I, praise God we're not. Because this is what's ultimate. is the Scriptures. And what I'm pleading for you today is that to, to treat the Scriptures in this sense as the most important thing that you could do every day. To be cared for and nurtured by the Word of God. For have the, the Word of God wash over us daily. Jesus wants us to choose the good portion. It's good. It's not bad. It's not small. It's not average. It's not so-so. It's good. It's the good portion that's eternal. Are you daily choosing the good portion? Are you choosing what is greater and what leads to life? Um, I was speaking with a college student this week. And we uh, happened to be listening, I think, to the same message that this week, uh, one of the um, pre-conferences to Together for the Gospel, and it was uh, John Piper. And his message was in, entitled, If I Were 22 Years Old Again, uh, which means he's like 50 years removed. And if he said, if I was 20, 22 years again, he, he goes back to all these different things. What would I keep the same, and what would I do uh, differently? And one of the things that he uh, centered on and, and press this point of being in the scripture. Um, and, and he was as bold to say this, and it's not that bold, but it's very important to say, and I think it'll help us understand. Um, he said, if you had the choice every day to eat breakfast or to be in the scriptures, he would choose being in the scriptures every time. Every time. 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds at the mouth of the Lord. And, and I wonder if, if it's that life-giving to us. Would we forego breakfast and the ten minutes it takes to do that or the five minutes or whatever it may be so that we can be blessed by the word of God? Are we hungering and thirsting for righteousness so that we would be filled by the scripture? The world and all that it has to offer, we know, brothers and sisters, we know they won't, they won't satisfy. It's not what's ultimate. The good things in, in life and ministry, they are good and God has given us these things to do, to work hard, to care for our families and to do these things. But they are meant to all be done by grace, driven by grace. We need the Word of God. We need the Word of God. We need that portion. We need that, do- that dose of the portion of God's Word daily to hunger and thirst for it so that we would be filled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the good portion of your word. Thank you that you have given your word to us, clearly speaking to us of who you are. We know, Lord, that we still struggle and it can be hard to understand sometimes. But, oh Lord, it is still your word that you have given to us. Would you spark in each one of us a renewed hunger and thirst for the Scripture? That we would be growing in it daily? That we would be growing in it together? And it's by your grace, Lord, we depend upon you for these things. Thank you for its life-giving power and its soul-satisfying work. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.